Yeah, you're joining us for part two of Jesus Loves Me, and each week we have different talented singers from our church family. We had a karaoke booth in the lobby, so every week of the series is a different group of our gifted, gifted singers. Well, hey, today we're talking about our belief in Jesus, and the point of this series is what do we actually need to believe about God to access the power of God through Jesus? I don't know if you've ever been to a car show or seen these concept cars. When I was a kid, I called them future cars. I grew up in Michigan, I'm a big car guy, and every year it was my dream to go down to Detroit for this big event called the North American International Auto Show. And at this auto show, all the manufacturers will bring out their concept cars or their prototypes. And here's one, this was actually designed for the Corvette back in the 80s, it would have been a mid-engine Corvette. I was reading an article recently that a number of these concept cars are going up for sale. GM and Ford are kind of clearing out some old warehouses and they're selling these beautiful looking concept cars. And here's the thing, if you were to buy this concept car, you might be really happy because it looks so pretty, but you might also be a little disappointed because a lot of these concept cars, they look really fast, but if you get inside them, you'll find that they don't actually have engines. A lot of them would be just wheeled out by the team and they would worry about engineering an engine and all that stuff later if it actually ended up becoming a production car. And I thought, what a symbol of Christianity because there are places where there are buildings that have a steeple and a, a white cross at the top, but they don't seem to have the power of God inside of them. And there are people you and I've met who claim to be Christians but they don't really show the power of God in their lives. And so what we're asking today is a very simple question. What do you need to believe about Jesus to actually access his power? You know, when Jesus walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, he's a documented historic figure, lived around Jerusalem and the surrounding area. It's a city and a region that are still there today. When Jesus walked on this earth, there were people who met him but who did not experience his life-changing power. And then there were other people who met him and they believed certain things about him that literally physically healed them or changed their identity, gave them power. What was the difference between the people who believed and experienced his power and those who simply met him and didn't experience his power? The same is true today. Just as much as Jesus healed the eyes of the blind and, and healed the lame and raised the dead when he physically walked on the earth. In our lifetime, I've seen Jesus set addicts free. I've seen Jesus set people free from broken relationships. I've seen him change people from the inside out and I've seen it first and foremost with myself, how he's radically transformed me. And so where you wanna experience the power of God, the power of Jesus in your life, what is it that you need to believe about Jesus to actually encounter that power? Well, who better to ask this question of than Jesus himself? In fact, we're gonna see Jesus kinda ask this question to his closest followers, his 12 disciples, and here's how the true story goes, recorded in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asked his disciples one day, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man was a, a title that Jesus often used to refer to himself. And at this point, Jesus has been doing miracles. Thousands of people are following him. Hundreds of thousands of people know who he is. 
He's a well-known figure, and everyone has different opinions. You know, some people would say, ah, he's kind of a magician, huckster. I don't know how he does those miracles, but it's obviously not supernatural. There were other people who said, yeah, he's doing miracles, and he's probably a prophet from God. And then there were still other people who said, oh, he's not merely a prophet. He's actually God among us. He's the Messiah figure, God in a human form to rescue humanity from all of its brokenness. And so Jesus asks his closest disciples, who do you say, or who do people say that I am? Well, they answer, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus has this moment where he looks them in the eyes and he says, he says this, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And this is a moment that each of us come to in our lives. We hear about Jesus and we learn a little more about him. And for some of you, today's the day where you're going to decide for yourself, who do I say that Jesus is? Not who do your parents say or what does the church believe or what does your spouse say, but who do you say Jesus is? Who do you believe he is? Do you believe he's a fraud and a huckster? Do you believe he's maybe a prophet from God, but only human? Or do you believe he's almighty God who became a human to save us and to rescue us. Well, if you're familiar with Jesus' closest disciples, there's an impulsive one named Peter. Peter gives us hope for all of our failures because he messes up a lot, just like I do. And Peter blurts out an answer right away. Here's what he says in verse 16. He answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now that word Christ meant so much to Peter and to those disciples. You see, they were part of a God-fearing movement who were looking forward to the Messiah. They knew these ancient prophecies in what we call the Old Testament of the Bible that predicted that someday the same God who made humanity would become a human and he would walk among us so that he could fix everything that's broken, all of our sins, all of our mistakes, the sins we've made personally that have separated us from God, and the sins of humanity like murder and war and rape and genocide and racism and greed and prejudice, that God would come down to fix all that and he would be known as the Messiah or the Christ, which means the Messiah. So Peter answers, you're not just a prophet, you are God among us here to set us free. Now Peter got a lot of answers wrong, so let's see if he got this one right. Jesus responds to Peter's answer and he says, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter, you have it right. I am from heaven. I am God in the flesh, and I am here on earth to save the world. And here's our big idea. It's the answer to that question we ask today. Jesus is fully human, and he's fully the one true God. You could say Jesus is the Christ, that's what this means, but since in our day and age, Christ is more often used as a profanity than anything else, we're gonna define it. What does it actually mean? It's not Jesus' last name, it's a title about him. He's the Messiah. He's fully man, fully human, and fully the one true God. If you wanna look in your notes as you came in, you got this little white card, or if you're watching online, you can click below me on the study guide, and we have this card what we're doing in this series, my heart as a, a brother to you and a spiritual leader, is I want you to know with confidence what Christianity is. 
And the idea of this series is that if you were in a room by yourself or you're flying on an airplane and your neighbor next to you asks, what is Christianity? What do I need to believe? How do I access the power of God? That if you didn't have a Bible with you, you had no phone, no apps, no internet access, that you from your memory and from your heart could say, here's what Christianity is. And it's as simple as that children's song that we've named this series after, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And what we're doing now is we're going through what do each of those words mean? Because that word Jesus has a lot of significance. It's not that he was just a prophet or a moral example or an inspirational teacher. Yes, his teachings are inspirational and they are an example to us, but he is almighty God. And that's why he can save us. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. This card summarizes everything we'll learn in this series. He loves us, means he came into our world on a rescue mission. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. Me means that to receive that salvation, I need to have a moment in my life where I own my mistakes and I say, God, I need your salvation. I believe that. And where sin has corrupted me, I believe you can make me a new creation. This I know is about saying, I know I can't earn my salvation, but I know I've received that gift. And then for the Bible tells me so, is this reality that to walk in the freedom and in the power of the Christian life We make the word of God, the Bible, the standard for what we do and for what we believe. We can summarize this series with a verse from Romans chapter one, verse 16. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that word gospel is really what we're learning in this series, the good news. How do you kind of summarize the message of Jesus? Last week, I told you about a time in my life when I was still working as a news reporter and a journalist. And I was in New York City with a mentor, a person I really looked up to, and they said, John, why would you think about going and becoming a pastor? And this verse was really the reason. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's some people who don't know Jesus who might laugh at me. They might not understand it, but I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because it's the very power of God. It's not just a religious system or a belief system or one of many ways. It is the one way to connect back to your creator, the very power source of the universe. And this gospel brings salvation. That is freedom from sin in this life and immortality and eternal life after this world. And that salvation is available to everyone who believes. But what do you need to believe? Well, when it comes to Jesus, we need to believe that he is God. Your outline puts it this way, number one of three things that kind of say the same thing a few different ways is that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, or you could say the Savior. Those words are all synonymous. He is God-man. That's a really modern way of saying it. He's the God-man. And he came to earth to rescue us and to make us right with heaven. I want to show you a picture, a video that illustrates this, because one of my challenges as I've prayed for all of you in this series is, how do I take this and, and help us understand that this is not hypothetical, This is not just like seminary stuff or big churchy words like divinity and trinity. This is very real. This is very tangible. It changed my life and it changes lives around us. And I want to show you a picture that I think illustrates the idea outside of a religion context, the idea of almighty God who created us coming down among us to rescue us and set us free. Take a look.
as a population on this planet have been looking for a savior. 90% of people believe in a higher power and every religion believes in some sort of messianic figure. And when the savior character actually comes to earth, we want to make him abide by our rules. We have to understand that this is a paradigm shift. We have to start thinking beyond politics. Are there any moral constraints on this person? We have international law on this earth. Every act is a political act. Is it really surprising that the most powerful man in the world should be a figure of controversy? To have an individual engaging in these state-level interventions should give us all pause. When Jesus walked on this planet, he had a similar impact. Crowds gathered around him. People pushed each other aside to try to touch him because they heard the stories of friends and relatives who were lame and who now could walk, who were dead and now were alive, who were blind and now could see. And crowds gathered around him and there was great controversy of who is this man? This man who has such power and yet this man who is so gentle. This man who has no army and no political power and yet thousands of people follow him. This man who we now know 2,000 years later launched the largest movement in all of human history. Did you know that today, one out of three people in the world identify as Christians? That is 2.2 billion people. Now to put that into context, the biggest celebrities on Instagram have about 100 million followers. So if you take Kim Kardashian or someone, one of the top five who has the most followers, multiply their followers by 10, then multiply that by two, and then add another 200 million. That's how many followers Jesus has, not who just think he's a nice guy or want to see pictures of him on vacation, but who bow down and worship him as God. This is the most influential person in all of human history. And so the question of who do you believe Jesus is, is the most important question that you'll ever answer in your life. You see, if it's all made up and he's not God, but you choose to believe that, what will be the end result? Well, you'll live a more moral life and you'll have better relationships by following his example. But let's say that it's true that he actually is God. Let's say that his claims that he is the way, the truth, and the life are true. Well, then the stakes are eternal. Belief in him either leads to an eternal life or an eternal death. Either leads to eternity with God or separated from God. And I love that clip from that movie, Batman versus Superman, because these commentators, they're wrestling with what we wrestle with. They're looking at this messianic, all-powerful figure, and they're saying, you know, what does it mean? Does he have to abide by our rules? Is he, is he God? What does this mean for us? And really, that's what we're wrestling with when we say the word Jesus. Who do I believe that he is? And for me, I've come to believe that he is this one true God because there's no one else from 2,000 years ago who has millions of followers today. You know, no one's following Julius Caesar today or Alexander the Great. I noticed as I traced human influence throughout history that most influential people, as soon as they die, their influence starts to go down. Big celebrities from 100 years ago, kids today don't know their names, people like Buddy Abbott, kids today don't know those names. 100 years from now, kids won't know the names of Taylor Swift or Beyonce, that's just 100 years. Jesus lived 100 years ago times 20. And yet in every generation, his followers multiply. Why is that? 
because there's a power when you believe in Jesus. It's not just a thought system or a religion. It taps into the very power grid of the universe. And people who believe in Jesus, like I have, we see such a transformation in ourselves. Something more real than anything I ever saw as a news reporter. And we see it in ourselves and it's so real that we give our lives to say, I gotta tell other people about this. And then other people experience it and they tell other people and it has become the largest movement in all of human history. Significantly larger than any other movement in all of human history. Jesus is the Christ, fully God. Secondly, Jesus is fully human without sin. This is part of what it means to be the Messiah. The Messiah had to be human and feel our pain. He knows the sting of emotional rejection. He knows what it is to be made fun of as a kid. He knows the the, the pain of a splinter under a fingernail. He knows the salty warmth of tears on his face. He felt our pain. He was one of us. Almighty God humbled himself and took upon him the form of a man. And he further humbled himself by going to the cross. And next week, we'll explore what that cross was and why it's the ultimate symbol of love. When we say Jesus loves me, we're talking about what he did on the cross. But to do that, he had to be God and he had to be man. Third, Jesus is the one true God within the Trinity. Now, you don't have to fully understand the Trinity to to get this, and you don't even have to memorize this little saying. Really, the gist of today is that Jesus is God, okay? But here's what's beautiful about everything in, in the Christian life and everything with Jesus. You only have to have a childlike faith to receive it, and a four-year-old can understand it. But if you wanna go deeper, it just gets richer and richer and richer. And that's how it is with understanding the Trinity. The Bible's very clear, and Jesus' teaching is very clear that there's only one God, Theologians call this monotheism, one God. And yet Jesus taught over and over that he's God and he has God the Father and then there's this third part called God the Holy Spirit. And we know this from many, many verses, probably the most famous one is at the end of Jesus' life on earth before he ascended back to heaven, he said to his disciples, go and make more followers of me, teaching them to obey all my commands and then baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it's one God in three persons. It is a mystery, okay? If you're like, that doesn't quite totally make sense, I agree, okay? It's a mystery. Our minds are a little bit smaller than the mind that created the universe. But what I wanna say here is that if you wanna know more about the Trinity or even know more about Jesus' divinity, that is that he's God, you can be a self-feeder. So we talk here often about a packaging of the Bible that's called the Life Application Study Bible. Now, the words of God in Scripture are unchanging, but what a study Bible is, is it's a Bible where you've kind of got some notes that walk you through what does this mean. And this is a Bible that really changed my life because it's all about how does the Word of God apply to your life. So if you don't yet have a study Bible, you can grab one on your way out today. We have them at our Connection Corner. We have them available in our library. And I'll just show you, for example, if you were at home and you were wondering, what do I need to believe about Jesus? You could look up in the back of your life application study Bible, Jesus. And here's the first passage it would take you to, John chapter one, verse one. Now the verse is up here on the page. This is the note that I'm talking about where it's like having a pastor with you. John one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word, capital W, it's a title for Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus is God. But then here's what this little footnote says. If you're like, what does that mean? 
It says this, John, the author of this book, shows Jesus as fully human and fully God. Although Jesus took upon himself full humanity and lived as a man, he never ceased to be the eternal God who has always existed, the creator and sustainer of all things and the source of eternal life. This is the truth about Jesus and the foundation of all truth. So anytime you've got questions, you can come here. That's why, we, that's why we're here. That's why I get up in the morning is to answer these questions, okay? But my desire for you as a shepherd and as a brother is for you to have a good study Bible like this so that throughout the week, day by day, you're able to learn more and go deeper even on your own. Well, I've drawn three circles here to show the difference of beliefs in Jesus. Now we're talking today, how do we access this power of God that leads to salvation? And we've learned that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher or a human, he was the Christ or the Messiah. And there's two halves of that. He was fully human without sin, and he's fully God within the Trinity. Now again, you don't have to memorize all this, okay, to be a Christian, you don't have to memorize all this. You just need to know he's God, okay? But I'm gonna show you the significance of this here because there's errors on each side of this. And many of the people who God calls us to love who don't yet believe in Jesus, they fall on one side of this or the other. For example, there's people who would say, well, Jesus was only human. I was one of those people for, for a while, okay? I thought, yeah, Jesus lived. He's probably a moral teacher. He's an inspirational example. But I didn't believe he was God. And so I was not accessing his power. Now, I could imitate his teachings and have a slightly better life on earth by trying to be like him. But I didn't have any power to be like him because I didn't believe that he was God. So this would be the position of people who don't believe in the supernatural. This is also the position of our friends and neighbors who are Muslims. The teachings of Islam say that Jesus was a religious figure, but he was just a prophet, he wasn't God. And in fact, for a devout Muslim, if you claim that Jesus was God, they're, they're probably gonna get a little upset because that would be heresy or blasphemy to them. So lots of people in the world who believe Jesus existed and was a good person, but not God. There's also people over here who have buildings that look like churches and churchy names, but they're missing the power of God because they believe that Jesus is a God. So maybe you've heard of Mormonism. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Or maybe you've heard of the Jehovah's Witnesses. These groups tend to come knocking on your doors. And they look really, you know, traditional Christian. They'll have an old translation of the Bible and a tie-on. And they'll say, we believe Jesus is God and died on the cross for the sins of the world. And you think, oh, that, that sounds like what they say in church. That sounds right to me. But if you get into it deeper, what they believe is that Jesus is a God. He's not the one true God. He's a God. And Satan's also a God. And if you work hard enough and pay enough money to the church, you too can become a God, which is ironically what Satan told Adam and Eve back in the garden. You can become like God. And because they believe Jesus is a God, but not the one true God, they don't have the power of God that leads to salvation. This message that I'm not ashamed of, the power of God that leads to salvation, is that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one true God. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, a watershed issue. Maybe you've heard that. I had heard that for a while, and I didn't know what it meant, so I looked it up. And uh, here's a picture of a watershed divide. A watershed is very simply where water goes when the rain falls, you know, it runs downhill, eventually it finds a creek. That creek runs hill, downhill and finds a river and keeps going to find a lake and eventually most water ends up back in the ocean. And that's called the watershed, the path that the water takes. Well, there are places around the world where there's a divide, you know, like the top of a mountain. And if you were to drop a bucket of water there, one half of it will end up in one ocean 
and the other half will end up in the other. It's called a watershed issue. So this is a, a literal place where if you were to drop a big bucket of water right here, half of it would eventually end up in the Pacific Ocean and the other half would end up in the Atlantic. Now, if you need a brush up on your geography, those are really far apart, okay? So, so it starts close, but it ends up at two totally far apart destinations. In fact, here's a map of some of these continental divides, the watersheds around North America. So you can see probably the biggest watershed divide, it runs north and south down North America, and you can see it running through the Rocky Mountains here. And so when water falls here in the Rocky Mountains, if it's on this side of the red line, it goes in the Pacific over by California, it falls on this side, it'll make its way to the Mississippi or down to the Gulf of Mexico, it ends up in the Atlantic. So there's places all along this where within one square foot, it's a world of difference. And that's how it is in our beliefs of Jesus. Here's a, a picture of this physical breaking point. This is at Gray's Peak in Colorado. So when the rain falls here on Gray's Peak, depending on which side of this little line it falls on, that rain is gonna end up either in the Atlantic or in the Pacific. And this is why our beliefs in Jesus are so important because on that little circle grid I showed you, it looks like, oh, there's not that big a difference, but there's a huge difference. If Jesus is just one God among many, then many of the things he said are not true and he doesn't have the power to save us. If Jesus is just a man and a good teacher but not God, he also doesn't have the power to save us. To experience the power of God that brings salvation, I must believe intellectually but then in my heart that Jesus is the one true God. And this is where your will becomes involved. Your parents can't decide this for you. Your spouse can't. Only you can, can say, I believe Jesus is God. That's why we call out to him to change us and rescue us and save us and set us free because he's God. Not just a good teacher, but almighty God. I want to show you a story of this power of God that changes us from the inside out. We know it existed 2,000 years ago because it launched this viral movement that has taken over the globe. But this power is alive today. I could tell you so many stories. You're sitting in a room full of stories of people who've experienced the power of God. But let me show you just one. This is an NFL athlete who was a very powerful man. And yet when he encountered Jesus, he encountered an even stronger power. Go ahead and take a look. When I was about five years old, I got a rude awakening about who I was and what my color was all about. My uncle took me out in the backyard one day and he says, Ken, I want to tell you how rough your life is going to be growing up and living in Alabama. And he got down in a football stance and he took off as fast as he could go. Hit me, bam! I flipped over, rocks and dust flying, and I cannot believe he had hurt me so badly. I said, what are you doing? He said, shut up. Stand back up there. Bam, bam, five, six times, bam. And I would never forget what he said. He took me, he stood me up, and he says, let me tell you something. Whites can never be trusted. You always have to keep your guard up. 
must be better or they will make you worse. My life changed that day. I believe my uncle. And I graduated with honors in living that life. I was so mad and so prejudiced. All the times of walking to the back of that bus. It was about me. I saw what whites did and walked by that white school. It was illegal for someone that looked like me. He is not fit to play with our kids. And when I failed, call him an animal. They came in like wolves. We're gonna kill you. I am gonna pay some folks back. And I'm gonna beat you one way or the other. I'm gonna hurt as many as I could. Set them a fire, beat up the homecoming queen. All that frustration. <laughs> That's right, I was a man cat. I hated everybody. Anybody got in my way. I was driven by hatred. Driven. My life is miserable. White people that made it miserable. That was just emptiness. Not knowing God had a plan. But it's stubborn, prejudice, hate, unbelieving, said is, let me tell you something, boy. And you know, God can call you boy. So that's, that's fine with me. He says, I died for whites too. And if God died for everyone, who am I to have a prejudiced thought towards any of God's creatures? Before I became a Christian, it was all about me. <laughs> it's what I want. It's about my revenge. It's about my prejudice. I dropped that hatred of whites into the love of Christ. And that's why to this very day, I will fight for white, black, red, yellow, brown. Because the love of Christ changed me, protected me, accepted me. And I do the same for all people. Now, prejudiced guy married one of the whitest white women in the world. I got a cross-culture family. My wife is German descent. I'm black. We got four German chocolate kids. Two boys, two girls. Gorgeous. They took out the mom. Praise God. Senior pastor of a large church. 65% of the church is white. 35% is all ethnic groups. Black, white, brown, red, yellow. Woo! That is the power-changing Holy Spirit of God, and He can do the same for you. My name is Ken Hutcherson, and I am second. power of God that brings salvation is alive and well in our time.
It can change a white racist. It can change anyone prejudiced of any background. All of us have broken things that have been done to us, and part of the brokenness of humanity is that this injustice and this evil, things like racism and hatred, when they bump into us, very often our response is to then continue it on to someone else and abuse becomes perpetual and cyclical. Racism becomes perpetual. Prejudice becomes perpetual. And the God who made us and who designed us to live a life of unity and love with him and others, when he looked down and saw all of humanity drowning in the sickness of our sin, he didn't walk away, but he humbled himself. He became human in the person of Jesus. He showed his power with miraculous deeds, and then he showed that he's God by raising from the dead, and then he made a prediction that's documented 2,000 years ago. He said to a little ragtag group of 120 people, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you, and you're gonna go, and you're gonna make followers of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and this movement of mine will spread to the ends of the earth. And Jesus made that prediction 2,000 years ago. That's not controversial, that's well-documented. What are the chances of someone in the ancient world saying my followers will spread before there's airplanes or automobiles or electricity or even fax machines, my followers will spread all around the globe. And here we are 2,000 years later, and that impossible prediction has come true. Also his prediction that he will set captives free. Also his prediction that those who are weary and burdened and come to him that he will give them rest has come true over and over again. Ken, our brother who you saw in that video actually is in heaven now. Uh, Ken had a, a cancer condition and at age 61 went home to be with the Lord and the same power of Jesus that transformed him from a person defined by hate and the past and fear, transformed him into a person defined by love and the future and optimism. That same power is the power that gave Ken the ability to face death knowing the end of life here is not the end, it's just the beginning of an eternal life. And I can't wait to see Ken in heaven. And we're sitting in a room with about a thousand other people who just like Ken, very many of us have seen this kind of transformation. We weren't all NFL athletes, our stories aren't all quite as dramatic, but many of them are if you dig into the details. And God is in the business of changing people today because a proper belief in Jesus is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So I just wanna ask you three simple questions as we sort of review what we've learned today. Jesus is the one true God. First, did you know it's this simple? You don't have to learn those terms like Trinity, divinity, some of those big words I threw around. You don't have to know all those words to understand Jesus is the one true God. Do you know that? If you've been saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, but you didn't know that, it's important, it's that simple. Second, do you know it's this important that it is a watershed issue whether or not you believe Jesus is God? And most importantly, have you decided what you believe? Have you decided for yourself? Jesus, I do believe you're God, and yes, I believe it mentally as a fact, but really I believe it in my heart. And where I need changing, where I need rescue, where humanity's broken and where I'm broken, you are the solution, Jesus, as the one true God. 
know, the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, it describes a future moment when Jesus will return to this earth and gather his followers to himself. And in that moment, Jesus, he's not gonna come as a baby in a manger. He's actually gonna come as a judge with a sword, with flames of fire in his eyes, scripture says. Because you see all the rape, all the genocide, all the racism, all the evil and hatred of human history, it will be judged, it will be made right. And what Jesus says is for all who trust in him, for all who believe in him, there is no judgment for us. That's what the cross was all about. He took our judgment at the cross. And the book of Revelation describes this moment when Jesus will be lifted up as God and every tribe and tongue and nation, all the people who've ever lived will kneel before him and they'll bow before him and they'll say, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, and they're not just gonna admire Jesus as a good teacher or an inspiring example, they're gonna worship him as Almighty God. And we have this choice now in this lifetime to say, do I believe that now? Do I wanna be forced to worship him as someone who resisted him? Or do I wanna be part of his family and spend eternity with him? It's a watershed issue what you believe about Jesus. It brings hope, it brings life, it brings purpose. But it's not just a nice, warm thing that, yeah, if you hit rock bottom, maybe try this. It does matter for eternity what you choose to believe about Jesus. I'd love to pray for you right now. Father, in this room, there's people who you are bringing to salvation in this moment. They've heard your name, Jesus, they've believed in you, but they've never experienced the power of God until today. And Lord, I pray in this moment that you would draw them across that finish line of faith, that they would call out to you as the creator, as the Lord and Savior, as the Jesus who we follow, but also the Jesus who we worship. And that today would be the day that they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my mistakes. I place my faith in you. Lord, I know there's some with us today watching or here in this room who aren't quite there yet. And Lord, you know I wasn't there for a long time. I remember praying things like, Jesus, if you are God, please show me. And you answered those prayers. I remember praying, God, I, I think I believe, but help my unbelief. And you answered those prayers. And Lord, if there are skeptics among us, if there are seekers among us, those who aren't yet sure, I just pray, would you give them the faith today to say, God, help my unbelief. God, show me that you're real. And Lord, for those who've been on this journey and we've known you, we've seen your power in our lives, would you do two things in us? Would you remind us how important these beliefs are, but then would you send us out of here as beacons of light, demonstrating your power, that in our neighborhoods and in our families and in our workplaces, people would see a power, a love, a joy, a peace, a patience, that doesn't just come from a personality or a human disposition, but comes from the source of love, the creator of the universe, because God, we are here to shine as lights in the dark, to guide wandering souls back to their creator who is Jesus the Christ. So Lord, would you use us in this community? We wanna worship you. We wanna be a church that lifts you high so that you will draw all people to yourself. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.